Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. And we coming from a basement to your headphones. Barely even know who we are, but changing the unknown. In a wild time in the choice. Thank you for downloading the Podcastianos. Now here are your hosts, Jordan Hall and Eric Wayne. Welcome back to another episode of Podcastianos. I'm Jordan Hall. Eric is out this week, so instead I am joined by the queen of the minor leagues, our good friend Emily Walden of 2080 Baseball. Emily, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for us, or I guess specifically me tonight. Yes, we don't have to talk about Eric because Eric has moved on to other things, leaving us behind. So I am enjoying your company tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll remember him, you know, next week. Uh, but we'll enjoy the uh, the lack of dul- of his dulcet tones. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. So you are fresh off a trip to the Tigers Double A affiliate in Erie, and we'll get we'll get more to that at length later. Um, but just generically, how was the trip? Uh, have a good time. How's the stadium? Like, tell us tell us the the superficial aspects of your trip. Well, I would say probably the most surface piece to it was the random hit or miss rain that kept moving over the stadium. These random little cells of rain, would they would slide over the stadium and stop and downpour for a good seven to eight minutes. Just as the grounds crew would get the tarp onto the field, the rain would stop, the sun would come out, and they'd have to pull the tarp off again. So it was very, very painful to watch because it was a waste of everyone's time. But all in all, it was a very nice time. Good to catch up with some people. Now, were you there for the doubleheader on Sunday? I was there for the first game. I wasn't able to stay for the second game because of a very lengthy drive back. So, unfortunately not. <laughs> I saw that they were both seven innings. Is that Was that the plan or was that due to the rain? I was just curious. Uh, that's actually normal protocol for a doubleheader um, at the minor league level specifically. Just because I think it's kind of a pacing the players type of method. Makes sense. Um, just to make sure they're not going the full nine innings and that you're not completely clearing through your pitching rotation if one of the games were to go long so it's one of those things where i think it's just pretty standard protocol i kind of like that i had no idea that that was a thing it's very college baseball-y <laughs> i would say so yes <laughs> okay so let me let me paint you a scenario so it's the, it's the bottom of the sixth inning we're playing baseball here the pitcher on the mound is absolutely dealing so much so that maybe he's working on a perfect game and has already racked up 10 strikeouts up steps a speedy outfielder who's not exactly known for his thunderous bat. He drops down an excellent drag bunt, beats the throw easily, and reaches first for the first single of the game. Twitter then, as you might imagine, spontaneously combusts. Do you know what I'm talking about here? You know, that that scenario does ring a very painful bell to me. And yes, it, it does sound like I've heard of this before. So obviously we're talking about Wednesday. Uh, when Gerard Dyson broke up Verlander's no, well, it was more than a no hitter. It was perfect at that point in the sixth. Um, the internet, inevitably, as as it always is, but I guess specifically this time it has a little bit of a point. They weren't happy, um, and for me, it kind of re-raised the. It's the old question of whether the old unwritten rule of not bunting to break up a no hitter um, is that a little bit passe at this point. Where do you come down here? You know, it's one of those things where I'm not personally a fan of bunting. Um, I've tried to make that clear in as least uh, vital of a way of, you know, as possible. But um, I think in that type of a scenario, considering it was Dyson, I think Dyson's one of those guys who's just incredibly sneaky and does these little, I'm going to pull a trick out of my back pocket and see if you're paying attention. Um, it didn't surprise me. I kind of expected him to, just knowing how fast he is on the base path. And he's very confident, too. So for that type of a scenario, I can't fault them for bunting it um, because of the fact that Dyson was up there. So it's 
I mean, obviously it bit the tigers in the butt and we all saw the outcome of it eventually. Yeah, it's one of those things that like um, when on on our side, it, it really pisses you off. But like they they were down two nothing at that point. Like there was still a lot of baseball game left to work with. Like I know that that Verlander was kind of getting into the range where oh is it going to happen is it going to happen but like they're still trying to win I mean they're not out of it like we are they're still trying to win baseball games um, does does the score factor in in your opinion like as far as it being cool you know when when does it stop being you know acceptable it, it's it's such a gray area I find it really interesting it is it's very interesting because I think people forget that baseball is such a situation specific sport. Yes that it's very hard to say you will always handle situation X one way, you know, you'll always handle situation Y one way. You really can't do it until you're in the moment. And I was actually talking to Lance Parrish, the manager for the Seawolves, um, the Tigers AA affiliate, and he was telling me, too, just having to look at the game in the moment, gauge the situation and go, okay, who do I have on deck right now? Who do I have on first base that can maybe run? Are they fast? Are they not fast? You have to know your team and you have to know how the situation's going to play out. And then you just put your trust in the players and see if they can do it for you. Yeah, that's a really good point. And we'll get into Osmus a little bit later. But there's been a lot of the whole, you know, uh, looking back on things that he's done and people kind of coming down on that but you can only go on the situ or on the information that you have in the moment as, as oh, a manager ab- yeah oh absolutely and i know that i'm probably going to light some fires by saying this but i really think the thing with um brad and i'll word this very carefully because i know it is a it's a bit of a sore subject <laughs> i think brad has been forced to work with the hand he's been dealt Um, Am I taking all of the pressure off of his shoulders? No, I'm not. Because as a manager, you are required to know how to shift the chess pieces when they're required to be moved. And so I think it is kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of a tag team thing where, yes, the front office is the one who ultimately pulled that roster together. They handed it to Brad. And now Brad is the one who's given the responsibility of making it work the way it's supposed to work. So it goes a little bit both ways. But honestly, I don't put the majority of that on Brad. I would say that's more of a front office issue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, One more thing on the bunt before we get to the leadoff question. I think it's really like part of what's so great about baseball is that there are such traditions and such like – throwing a no hitter puts you in this club, you know, you know, like, um, and obviously he's already done it twice, but anytime there's a chance for history, it's almost something that baseball finds worth interrupting the game at hand to like take note of and to, to respect. And I, I don't know, like, I feel like that's a little bit of an old fashioned take, but I kind of like that about baseball. No, and I would definitely agree too. And I think that, you know, even though Justin's name has been brought up in the possible trade talks, you know, with J.D. Martinez as another possibility, Justin has done so much over his span of time with the Tigers that even though, as we know, baseball fans are just brutal, sports (laughs) fans in general, but, you know, heaven help us if we get confronted by an angry baseball fan because they're about as savage as they get. And, you know, they may get frustrated with him. They may, you know, voice their opinions and all of that. But Justin is going to go down as one of the best pitchers to ever put on a Tigers uniform. Yes. He's, he's exceptional. So I'm, I'm all for stop the game, acknowledge the accomplishment, give credit where it's due, and then carry on. Um, so that brings us to this week's this week's leadoff question. Uh, which unwritten baseball rule do you find? Um, it's kind of a convoluted question. Uh, you find to be your favorite or least favorite amongst oh, okay. baseball's unwritten rules? Oh gosh, I may let you lead off just to kind of point me in the right direction with uh, what type of an answer we're going with here. <laughs> okay, um, I don't know if it's exactly an unwritten rule but i i really enjoy the symbiotic relationship between the catcher and the home plate umpire like when the umpire gets hit the catcher just like knows to go take a brief mound visit to give the umpire Mm. a second to collect himself and vice versa you know if the the catcher takes a foul tip or whatever and there's always like a a dialogue going on between them they're they're always chit-chatting i don't know it's just kind of nice and and also uh, kind of on the other hand like when when that relationship goes south Usually it goes south spectacularly, which also is fun to watch. Yes, I would definitely agree. And I would say probably in that same vein, 
I find it interesting that a lot of managers generally get along with umpires. And so it's almost like they're required to, when they're going to put on a show, they're going to put on a show. And sometimes you'll see the umpire kind of getting a little smirk on his face. Like, is that the best you got? Are you going to yell louder? Are you going to, you know, spit on me any more than you already have? And so I think it's, it's a reminder that it's, it's a human game. You know, it's humans playing this game. They're going to get along. They're going to see eye to eye sometimes, and they're going to disagree sometimes. But if you're able to kind of keep that in perspective, it's, you know, it's just more of an entertaining thing, like watching Brad throw his jacket on home plate and seeing the umpire stand and say, okay, let's move it along, move it along. Come on, let's finish. So I would say that's probably um, one of the aspects of it that I've enjoyed. Yeah, I think that's what the season's missed so far is Brad going, you know, taking a layer off and then covering something with it. <laughs> I would say so. And it was it was an interesting thing, too, when I was at my first game um, in Detroit at the beginning of June. And that was the game where Brad was told he didn't challenge a play quick enough. <laughs> and they, the umpire told him, hey, you had a certain amount of time and you missed the cutoff. And I saw Brad start to get real tense and start shaking his finger. And, and we all sat around there going, all right, Brad, just finish it up. You, you got it. Just finish it up and go out strong. And that was the first time I've seen him tossed in the first inning. So that was a pretty, uh, pretty great accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, first inning, that's something to put on the resume. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can at podcastianos.com. On Twitter, I am at JordanHall23. Emily is at EmilyWalden2080. The show is at Podcastianos. And if you still love Eric and want to follow him, uh, he is at Comeric Eric. <laughs> On the Instagram, I am at Jordino4, Facebook.com backslash Podcastianos. And we would love it if you would take the time to subscribe, uh, rate, and review us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or whatever other platform you're listening to the show on. I'm Blaine Hardy, and you're listening to the podcast, Giannos. Um, okay, I'm like, let's get into some Tigers talk. Um, it's why people listen to the show, but holy cow, what a drag they have been. Um, we're contractually obligated to talk about them a little bit, but let's put like 10 minutes on the clock before we get to the next generation and take a look at the minor league system. Um, I'm not not literally going to do that, so... We're not going to be held to that. Um, but those who listen to the show regularly will probably remember this. Two weeks ago, we said that the next two weeks are massive. They are the ones that lead up to like the halfway point of the season, You know, the magical end of June when supposedly we have to be above 500 to avoid the sell-off. Last week, we asked ourselves, we're toast, aren't we? And collectively, we thought so, but we didn't know definitively. Well, now, now we do know definitively. Uh, definitively, we are toast. Um, nine games under 500, seven back in the division, and best still, we are half a game above the Chicago White Sox for worst in the AL. Oh man, what what happened to us? You know, it's such a quizzical thing to me because I look at the lineup and I look at who you know this team has on their roster and the pieces are there you know the the ingredients are there you've got the power at the plate you've got you know a few really good arms to work with but it's that same old cycle where what's going on with the bullpen why is this guy injured again it's like this this thing where we can't quite work it out and unfortunately i think there's going to have to be some pretty massive moves um at the trade deadline to see how we can get this all cleaned out but it's definitely a mess right now no question definitely um so let's not beat the dead horse too much we have a the whole rest of the summer to talk about meaningless baseball um the show is supposed to be the fun alternative to all the dull action on the field so let's talk about miggy you know that one night i think it was actually the same game as the verlander uh no hitter so gently, so lovingly caressing the man's beard with his glove. Um, <laughs> were you watching live when that happened? What was your reaction? I just laugh and go, that's Miggy. I mean, it's really nothing he does anymore comes as a surprise to anyone. If he were to act normal with someone that he was interacting with, everybody would go, are you okay? Are you feverish? Is everything you know all right? And the thing with him, I think he looks for ways to keep people on their toes um, just to see if he can make somebody laugh. He's a very good-natured person. I think he likes to keep things light. Um, so, no, I really wasn't surprised. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> and it was definitely at a time when we needed uh, things to be you know, lightened up a little bit. Obviously, considering we went on to lose, what, four more games after that, it didn't didn't do the trick. But I liked where his head was at. I feel like every time Rod says, you know, he's just a big kid out there, I roll my eyes. But he really is just kind of a big kid out there playing a kid's game. I, 
I don't know. When when he leaves, I think we're going to, and hopefully that's via retirement, not any sort of trade. Um, I think we're we're really gonna miss the antics. I mean, he's he's such a, a larger than life character that it's hard to um, properly enjoy him in our time. I feel like. I I would say so too, and I think when the Tigers first got him, you know, in that random trade that I don't think anybody really ever had an idea of the impact he would have on the organization. Um, He has absolutely become the face of the Tigers in so many ways. He solidified himself as, you know, one of the absolute greatest hitters of all time. And so to have that type of a reputation, I think no matter how he goes out, he's never going to go out in a negative way in the fans' eyes because he's become such a staple for this city. And so he's going to just have an incredible, incredible legacy no matter how he ends up. I thought the the interesting part and maybe the undercovered part of the whole beard-grabbing thing was how cool the the fan played it. He just was like, yeah, this is something that happens regularly to me. A Major League Baseball player caresses my beard. He was, it was like he was in on the joke from the start. I yeah, I I think that, you know, if you're a fan that's been paying attention to Miggy for any amount of time, when you interact with Miggy, you just have to go with the flow because you really can't predict what he's going to do. So I think that the guy handled it really well. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he was a Seattle fan. We should have brought him back with us, just like the, the kid that traded the trout jersey for his. <laughs> I would definitely agree. <laughs> I think those are the only two fans we've gained so far this season. Uh, I would say so. <laughs> so I'm sure that you've seen the twi- Twitter buzz, um, but like we alluded to earlier, there's a significant amount of the Tiger fan base uh, that's ready to be done with Brad Ausmus. Um, you talked a little bit earlier about how he can only work with the hand that he's or play the hand he's been dealt, um, to which I I agree substantially. Um, I feel like we've reached the point where people are starting to want a decision, whether he's going to be here to the end of the year or are we just going to get rid of him? Uh, Do you see anything to be gained by canning him right now? Um, Honestly, at this point, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. I don't see it as being like the one piece that's going to shift everything. So I would say if you are going to, you know, transition him out, probably at the end of the year. Um, I think the the downslide right now is happening, whether he's here or not. And I don't see the really quick impact of bringing on a new manager at this point because of the fact that we are where we are in the season, unless we hit this amazing win streak, which I don't predict happening. And so I would say I don't see it being you know, a huge thing if they just did decide to um, terminate him. Yeah, definitely. We're not going to not going to go on some amazing run you know not not say that it can't happen just we've seen a a quite a bit of track record of this team i mean not even just this year the last couple years we don't really go on those big runs anymore um you know i don't i don't know what people are wanting to to see you know the the bounce effect i mean you bring in a new manager typically you get a few you know wins get things rolling a little bit i mean obviously it can go the other way too um but I mean, we're, we're not going to win win the division at this point. We're probably better off losing more games to, to get a better. I mean, I would never root for us to lose a game, but the more games we lose, the higher draft pick we get next year. Um, the one thing that I do find interesting, though, is I mean, clearly we're coming to a rebuild. There's going to be probably a decent sized sell off. Uh, do you see his style lending itself towards kind of navigating that rebuild, like? He, I feel like he's seen more as an ego manager than of like a coach. Um, clearly, there's going to be a lot more young kids coming in. Do you see that vibing? Um, you know, that's that's a very good question. I think that I think Brad brings a lot to the table. Um, I think that he understands the game as a lot of catchers do when they get into that type of a role. But I think it's been a mix of. You know, him trying to put up a wall to defend himself against the onslaught of the fans' opinions. And I think it's just, it's really kind of just an ugly mix in general. And so, do I think he's a bad manager? I don't think he's a bad manager. I think that he has not been able to fully navigate the club that it, the way it's supposed to go. But like I said before, I can't fault him completely for that. So, do I think he's the best fit for the Tigers? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if he is, but it's really not all falling on him for the mess that the Tigers have gotten themselves into. Because at the end of the day, Brad Osmus isn't coming out of the bullpen and screwing up the game. That's that's not him. 
And then you look at the fact that he only has X amount of guys coming out of the bullpen that he can work with. So it's, it's, it's a mess. I mean, there's no way around it. It's a mess right now. And so I think it's just going to have to have some pieces shifted and we'll see if it can help for next season. And this just kind of, this kind of just came to me. Um, you know, we've Brad Ausmus has had one style of team since he's been there. You have all of the big mashers. Um, you have no speed whatsoever. I'm wondering if maybe the, the, com- the makeup of the roster is actually what's hamstrung his ability. I mean, you know, if, if maybe we add in some of the guys who are a little bit, uh, you know, Dixon, Jacoby, some of these younger, a little bit more dynamic players. Um, you know, I know we've tried this before, but there could be something to be gained there. Uh, letting him more show off what he can do, more NL style side of managing. We, we really haven't seen that from him in his, what, three years at this point. No, I don't think we have. And I, I think that there is a promising future for the Tigers with the younger guys. So like, with, you know, the Dixons and some of the younger ones, too. There's potential further down the road. I mean, I thankfully I get to see some of what the future holds just by spending time around the lower levels. Um, but I definitely think that as hard as it's going to be to see some of these big bats move on, um, you know, I'd love to see J.D.'s bat stick around. But unfortunately, he's not fitting what the organization needs right now. So they're going to have to shift to be able to fill that gap because that's really the only they, – they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice right now. They've got to fill some of these holes, and I think JD is going to be one of them that will have to shift out to make room for that. Yeah, who do you see uh, transitioning into the right field spot? I mean, not saying that he's gone, but we, I mean, we most likely will trade him. Who do you think stands to benefit the most from him vacating all those at-bats and right? Um, you know, that's that's a really good question because I feel like there's so many guys that can kind of multitask right now. Um, I think there's a few guys in the minors that could move into that role. Um, I would say, heck, stick Andrew Romine out there. (laughs) He can do everything else under the sun, so why not put him out there in right field? But um, I think with your organization as it stands, whoever they would put in that position right now from the major league roster would probably just be a temporary filler. I think the permanent right fielder, if they and how it's going to be someone who is maybe AAA, AAA at the moment um, that could get pulled up to uh, to fill that slot. Yeah, um, clearly with with the trades, you know, inevitably going to happen. We should open the door for some players, um, but if they don't, like, how, we need to start figuring out what we have in guys like Dixon, in McCann. You know, I'm not McCann's biggest fan, but if we give him 400 at bats down the stretch, we're going to have a much better idea of what we have in him. And I, I think the same thing for Jacoby Jones. Um, you know, whether the trade comes or not, if we're not going anywhere, it's time to start getting some of these guys into in, into the lineup and see what we have. Um, but clearly, you can't start sitting, you know, Avila tr- while we're looking to to market him. So I'm assuming kind of August one might might mark the shift. I think so, too. And I think um, in the case of Dixon, if you do shift Iglesias out of the picture, I think now is as good a time as any to get Dixon more time in the field because the biggest downfall for Dixon is he hasn't had enough time to play. He hasn't had enough reps in the field because his defense, and, and this could be arguable by some people, but I put his defense almost on par with Iglesias. I think he's got natural feel. I think he's got just a very good sense of how to read a ball. His routes are excellent. Um, so I think for him, it's just he needs time. And I think the more he starts, the more innings he invests, I think he's going to do an excellent job. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I, I love Iglesias. He's one of one of my favorite players. He's a lot of fun to watch. But I feel like we've reached the end of the Iglesias experiment. Like, we know exactly what he is, and he's not really an impact player. Player. I mean, we, we saw what, what the Marlins just got for Hechevarria. It wasn't a whole heck of a lot. Um, but if we could get anything kind of in that same vein for Iglesias, I would be more than willing to try Dixon every day for the rest of the year. I would definitely agree. And I've, I've been a fan of Dixon since day one. So I think it's going to depend who do they shift in during the trades and, you know, just see how those gaps get filled. But if you're going to stick in those, Dixon's a good good option as any to be able to fill that role. Yeah, have you heard any chatter about about Boyd coming back? I mean, clearly there's not really a spot for him right now, but you have to assume that if 
you know, if things well, things are are south at this point, he's got to get back into the rotation at some point, right? I would agree. I talked to a couple of people when I was in Erie over the weekend, and they they all had nothing but positive things to say about Boyd. So I don't think it's an issue that the organization is displeased per se. I think it's maybe that they want to give him some more time to maybe grow in some confidence. Um, he's been, you know, a little unpredictable at times. I think the stuff is there, but he really has to get a better idea of how to stay consistent to be able to provide what the Tigers are needing in the rotation. So I think it's just a matter of time before he gets back up there. Yeah, and I actually didn't put this in, in the notes. So I'm completely springing this one on you. Um, but do you see him and Fulmer kind of, uh, I don't know, like we have so much riding on Michael Fulmer. He's He's the future ace. He has such a high impact delivery. There's so much stress that he puts on his body. Do you see them trying to limit his innings a little bit down the stretch this year in what most likely is a lost season and somehow using the combination of Boyd and a ball and maybe the guy that I still love, Drew Verhagen, um, to, to try and keep those innings down, maybe him and Norris both? I think so. And I think the biggest thing about Fulmer is that like you said, he's such a high-intensity pitcher, and considering his age, because I think he's, what, still 23, I believe, so he's still, he's relatively young, and I know that the Tigers are going to want to get everything they can out of him, so that wouldn't surprise me. I think if Boyd is able to show that consistency and really um, be able to contribute to the rotation, I think that they put him up there easy, you know, see him, you know, do good things, and um, if we have our good friend uh, Annabelle sticking around, then we hope good Annabelle shows up and we continue to move forward. <laughs> so not to completely go off the rails, but what does my boy Drew Verhagen have to do to get a call up? I'm, I'm so ready to see him get another shot. You know, Drew is one of the most feel-good stories to me because for anybody who doesn't know him, he is quite possibly a Don Kelly level of nice he is just completely genuine. He is one of the most down-to-earth guys you will ever meet. And those are the kind of guys that you want to see them succeed. You want to see them do well. He's coming off of TOS surgery, um, which is something that a lot of guys cannot bounce back from. Um, we saw that with uh, Kevin Zomek, who had the same procedure, and you know the unfortunate retirement that he eventually moved into. Um, a lot of those just doesn't quite fit the way it used to and the work back just becomes such a such a, a chore that I think that they really just kind of accept the inevitable and say you know what my time's done here um, but Drew has more than bounced back in my opinion do I think he is a rotation guy I think he is to be a couple innings out of the bullpen um, I don't know if he's going to be type of person that could fill a starting role at the major league level but I think he's definitely good to eat a few wings for the Tigers and they need consistency out of the pen so I would definitely support the move of him to get some more time up in Detroit I feel like I've been banging this drum literally since he went on the DL at the start of last year but just get him back in like he has such good stuff I, I definitely agree that he can be an impact guy out of the bullpen uh, but it also you know he, he moved back into the rotation to keep working on you know, being in more of a, a on a set schedule and stuff like that. So I wouldn't necessarily want to throw that off um, just to fill a need, but hopefully he'll get to the point where maybe he can handle, you know, getting ready on short notice and pitching back-to-back days or something like that. We'll have to see. Yeah, I would say so. And he, I think for him, he just needs to get in that groove because like you said, the stuff is there. And so for him, he really just has to find the groove that he needs, get his rhythm down, and I think he's still very much a viable option to help the Tigers in the future. Yeah, especially considering some of the bums that we've run out of there uh, this season. Okay, so let's get back to your trip from Erie. Um, saw the Seawolves. First of all, tell us about the ballpark. I would venture a guess that the majority of our listeners probably have never been there. I've never been there. I don't actually even really know where in Pennsylvania it is. I have guesses based on the name Erie. Um, but but how is the ballpark? <laughs> the ballpark is weathered. That is how I will. That's how I'll describe it. Um, it's been around for a while. It's definitely got more of an old school look in comparison to the other affiliates parks. Um, I will be honest. I've never been out to Connecticut um, for the short season team, and so I haven't had a firsthand experience with that park out there. But on the other affiliates, Toledo, West Michigan, obviously Lakeland just had that complete overhaul for their stadium. 
um, they're moving in a very modern direction. And so I think for Erie, um, they have ownership of the park. Uh, it's, it was renamed to UPMC Park over uh, over the off season. So well, they've got right a new name. The they've got it right off the tongue. You know, it's one of those uh, catchy, catchy titles resembling a bank, you know, <laughs> where it's like, who thought this was a good idea? But, you know all that and uh no it's it's an interesting it's definitely got an interesting vibe it's very different from the rest of the affiliates but um incredible staff incredible staff that works there they are so welcoming um and so definitely an enjoyable time is there any notable like food or on-field games that you saw you know one of my personal favorites is the um and i think a few of the teams actually do it now is what they call it's like the bubble bubble brawl um where they have those giant blown up balls that you get people inside of them and they literally have to body slam each other and see if they can send each other airborne um so that's always what i enjoy and then that's what normally pits two highly intoxicated people against each other um and more than one person completely biffing it as they're trying to run the second base and the, it's it gets very interesting so uh those are a couple and uh, yeah they definitely do a good job with the crowd it's a slim crowd which is unfortunate not, not a huge turnout but um really good team that works there for uh for the sea wolves and it's a good time for sure i'm sure the crowds warm up as the weather does uh, okay so let's get in who were some of the guys that impressed you while you were there Oh, goodness. I think, obviously, the ones that have gotten the most conversation, um, you know, the Kristen Stewart's, the Mike Gerbers, um, getting to see them. I got to see them play quite a bit in West Michigan um, when they first broke into the system. And I would say for both of them, very encouraging stuff to watch, Um, specifically with Mike Gerber. He is the kind of person that has been incredibly consistent since day one, but unfortunately, Earlier on, you didn't quite see as much of the potential, um, just because he's a very he's a very quiet personality, and so you don't see a lot of um, enthusiasm or a lot of signs to tell kind of what could be eventually coming from him. He is as steady as the day is long. Um, just an absolutely wonderful person, you know, really very personable, very warm, but he's very very chill. That's just his personality, and the biggest thing from him is he's showing more power at the plate, which I think is really encouraging. Um, he's somebody who you're not looking at, you know, 35 home runs a season from him, but I think you're going to see enough consistency, enough hits to the gap, um, enough extra base hits. He's got, I want to say, I'm going to shoot from the hip here. I want to say he's got close to 30 extra base hits this season. Um, a lot of doubles. He's a big doubles, triples guy, runs well in the base path. Um, so I think for him, it's going to be more of key hits as opposed to power hits. Now, I looked, he is 25 at current, at current? Correct, yes. What, uh, what's kind of holding, I mean, that's that's fairly old for double A. Um, what is it going to take for the Tigers to kind of roll the dice on him? Like, I know he was up at, he was up at Toledo at points last year, right? No. No, he has, okay. He has not seen Toledo yet at this point, and honestly, and I have not heard this to be the confirmed reason, but... As in seasons past, they tend to hit a log jam with outfielders in Toledo. That makes sense. Um, they have a couple guys that are kind of um, their, you know, rotating door outfielders that continually somehow end up in Toledo, and they're never quite to the level where they'll go to Detroit eventually. And so they just sort of sit in Toledo, and that blocks the younger guys working to come up in the system from Erie. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's a situation where the Tigers, they have a tendency to sign some seasoned players who end up getting stuck in Toledo. And because of that, it limits how much movement, when it comes to outfielders, are able to move up from Erie. And that's really kind of the logjam I, I was referring to. And they they, were, they decided to release a couple people um, that were outfielders from before. And so I think that's going to help for the most part. But once the health returns to the Tigers. I think those guys that are kind of filling the gap for now 
um, are going to get shifted back to Toledo, and ultimately they're going to have to cut a few of them. If they want to get their prospects coming up from the lower levels some room, they have to let some of those guys go because otherwise they're not going to be able to get that development time that they need if they're going to be considered for Detroit in the future. Yeah, do you see him having a chance at cracking Detroit by the end of the year, speaking of Gerber? Um, you know, I would say that it's a possibility. I think, if anything, his his time at the plate still needs some polish. Um, I think his pitch recognition has really improved. He's always been a very smart, um, very analytical hitter. If you watch him stand up at the plate, you can see the wheels turning as he's watching the pitcher. He, he reads the situation very, very well. So I think for him, it's just going to be a little polish with his pitch recognition. I think that you know, the, the feel for it is there. But defensively, I mean, I talked to multiple people in Erie. Defensively, he could handle the outfield for the Tigers right now. I can confidently say that. Um, center field, I'm still up in the air about that. I think he is a completely fine fit for right field. <laughs> I would put him out there if they transition J.D. out. Um, but as far as combined, I think his offense still needs a little bit of work. But I think he's definitely an option for, like, a September call-up. That's that's nice to hear. I feel like he's been on on all of our radars for radars for so long that it's like he should be here by now. But you know, guys develop at different paces. Speaking of development, um, where are we at with Stewart? Uh, is he looking? You know, he he's repeating the same level he made it to in Erie last year. Is he looking a little less overmatched? Um, the thing with Stewart is really coming down to him having to get better at pitch recognition because um, in the big picture, he will, in my opinion, ultimately be a DH, possibly a first baseman. Um, I don't think his speed or his arm really gives him the outline of being an outfielder. I think that those... It, it, amidst all the strengths that he has, I think that those pieces, which are absolutely vital for an outfielder, they're just not there, um, not to take away from his natural ability. But for him, he's going to have to up his pitch recognition. His strikeout percentage is dropping, which is encouraging um, because it was sitting around 28, 29% for a while. So it's down, I think, to about 27, maybe 26%. Um, and watching him in Erie, you can tell that he, he's more confident. I think he's reading pitches better. And so it's just going to be a matter of time to see if he can really find his stride in A, and then obviously give him a jump up to Toledo, see how he handles it. I watched him hit two home runs in one game, and he absolutely – he destroys <laughs> baseballs. I mean, one of his home runs went – I believe it was 464 feet that they measured out. He just absolutely destroyed it. And so – the power, I mean, he's got Stephen Moya-level power, um, but it's going to be a matter of can he read pitching up the ladder, and will that lead to his success in Detroit? Yeah, the Moya comparison is a real interesting one. Do you have, like, one main reason that we can all hang our hats on that he is not going to be the next Stephen Moya? Honestly, I think the fact if they try to shift him into just a straight DH role, I think that would be the difference because I think for the longest time they had hoped that Moya would develop into a good outfielder. Mm. And as we all know, which I will say in the kindest words possible, that didn't really happen. And so unfortunately for him, you know, he still hasn't really found that stride, but I think the fact that there's so much talk about, Stewart being looked at as just a DH or possibly first base, you know, in the the post Miggy post victory years that are coming, um, he could definitely fit that role. But he's just going to have to up his pitch recognition to be able to be successful at the plate. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like a great bat is a great bat, no matter what he does in the field. Like it's okay to have a first baseman or a DH. Just get him up absolutely yeah yeah absolutely and i think that you know the tigers absolutely knew that when they signed him they didn't sign him to be an elite outfielder (laughs) that wasn't the criteria they were looking at they were watching him tear the cover off baseballs and he was hitting and so i think that that's always been part of their plan um but because fans have been so accustomed to the steven moya situation and that same high strikeout percentage they're going, are we going to have a repeat of Stephen Moya? Because he's, he's about half Stephen's size, but he's got that same power. And so I think if the Tigers stick to him um, more in the DH role, I think they're able to find more success with his contribution to the team. 
so getting off of, of our various Seawolves, let's move to Matt Manning and Alex Fayetto. Um, how much have you seen with your own eyes of them? Um, obviously, the numbers have been impressive. What, what have been your takeaways from you know them being in our collective consciousness over the last, I don't know, what, two or three weeks? Yeah, I would say probably starting with Manning, I have seen him. I got to see him for the first time last summer when I went down for a brief GCL visit. Um, and that was obviously the year that he first signed. They put him in the GCL. I watched him through one game, and it just so happened to be the best game that he threw the entire time he was there. So I picked a good picked a good time to go down there. Maybe um, it was because the, you were there. You know, I would love to take credit for that, and I think I might just to make myself feel better. <laughs> Um, but the thing with Manning is I think the fluidity that he has already at such a young age. Um, he's just 19. And the fact that he is six foot six and has such good body control, he's got incredibly long legs, incredibly long arms. Um, his dad is 6'11". You know, and so it's like he's got he's got those genes, and so you kind of have to look at it and go, I have no choice but to learn how to work with my body type. And for him, he looks so controlled. He's so poised on the mound that I think having that type of a that type of a stance, that type of a delivery, and then adding the velocity of his fastball. So the thing with Manning, um, just the combination of his build, his poise. Um, his delivery and how fluid it is when you add in the velocity of his fastball, which is, I mean, it hits high 90s. That's an incredible combination for the Tigers. And so I think for them, just working to make the most of it, I think he's going to move pretty quickly. He's already, you know, have, has 14 strikeouts over two starts in short season. Um, so he's somebody that is going to really, really be dominant. And I'm excited to see how he plays out. Where do you see him playing next year? Uh, I think West Michigan. I don't think that they bump him past West Michigan. I think that they'll they'll move him up there, I would say, maybe within the next month or so, um, have him finish out the year in West Michigan, and then probably start back there again next year with, I would say, a midseason promotion to Lakeland if everything goes according to plan. Cool. That would be, that would be nice to have him there for a while. I'd, I'd definitely like that. It would, yeah. He's somebody that I think the fans have been so hungry for, a guy to really get excited about, that I think he's really going to give a lot of uh, a lot of really positive attention to the organization. So I'm excited to see him, too. Speaking of getting excited, uh, we've really all jumped on the Alex Fajardo um, bandwagon. He has looked incredible in the College World Series. Um, we don't have him signed at the moment, Uh have you heard anything on, on whether that's kind of a slam dunk? I mean, I, I would assume that it was would be most of the other first-rounders have. Um, and if we once we get him signed, where do you think that he's going to uh, begin his, his Tigers work? You know, the biggest thing that I think I probably have heard about Fajardo is that he was, I believe, projected to go earlier than he actually did. And so the people who I've spoken to about it have said that they don't see him going for anything less than, you know, below slot. I think that he's going to try and get as much as he absolutely can out of his value. And the fact that he's been doing so well in the uh, in the college playoffs, I think is just more bargaining chips for him to work with, you know, saying this is what I can contribute. This is how I've done. Um, so I think once they get him signed, my guess is he would probably go to short season um, considering the fact that he's not 19, you know, he's a little, little bit older in the grand scheme of things. I think he's a little bit more of a Funkhauser type, um, who also started out his his career in short season as well. So, I think that that's probably where he'll land once they get him signed up. I'd assume he'll probably be a little bit quicker of a mover too. I would say so. I think with um, a, a lot of people, um, I think including Kyle Funkhauser, were a little surprised he started in Class A. Um, just because his his age and the fact that he was more developed. But I think the organization is doing a much better job with pacing their players. And so obviously you want to see guys move more quickly, but I think that's out of a position of really desperation for the current state of the organization. And so I applaud when the front office is able to not be phased by that and say, oh, we've got to rush up our star players so we cannot look silly. I think that that's wisdom. And so I'm hoping that they do pace these guys and in the next couple of years because he's some really, really powerful prospects up in the organization. 
Definitely. Speaking of powerful, that's a great segue. Um, Reynaldo Rivera, our second-round pick. Uh, a lot of I read that a lot of the scouts had him um, as a grade, maybe a later round, um, but we took the gamble on on his power. What can you tell us about him? Um, you know, that was really the biggest thing I took away, too, was his power. Um, that was uh, probably the biggest thing that really stood out. And so the fact that um, he went as quick as he did, I think, may have been a, a bit soon, um, just because I'm not sure if, you know, long term, if it is worth that big of an investment. But I think that he is somebody who's definitely going to add a lot to the organization. I wasn't super familiar with him um, before he came on the radar, and so definitely can't claim to be an expert on him. But I think he's got a lot of really um, intriguing tools. I think they're just going to need a bit of polish to show what he can really contribute down the road. Yeah, he's one of the guys that I'm already kind of irrationally excited about. Like, Moya never moved the needle for me. And to be honest, I'm still um, skeptical about Stewart. But for whatever reason, I'm all in on Rivera. Like, I, I really want him to work. Um, I told you that maybe we'll make an irrational comparison to Aaron Judge. Why not? <laughs> Dude looks like the next Aaron Judge. He kind of reminds me of Pujols a little bit. Like, I don't know. I, I think he's going to mash, and that is based on, on nothing at all. Um, but he was he was the best hitter on a team that had 10 players drafted offense. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... I don't know. I, I'm in on him, and that I, I hope to see him with my own eyes at some point in the near future, because um, I, I think he's a guy that that we can get excited about. Even if he, you know, even if he doesn't turn out to be a world beater, just having somebody in the organization um, that's that's exciting like that, somebody to look forward to. I mean, we haven't we haven't had a lot of that recently, and I like that. No, yeah, and I totally agree. I think that there is definitely. Um, a lot of projection with him. I think that he could eventually bring a lot. I think that he's just going to need some time to kind of get his feet wet. Uh, I think they have him in a good level to work on that before they do send him into Class A. So I think that's it's a good spot for him, and I think he's definitely going to develop probably, I would say, pretty quickly, and then we'll see really what he's capable of um, a little bit further on. Speaking of, one more, one more guy before we move to power rankings. Uh, I got to ask about our boy, uh, big boy Bojarski. Finally got an assignment. Big things happening for him? You know, he's he's kind of getting the ball rolling. He hasn't had too much of a, uh, you know, a shattering debut, if you will. But the thing with uh, Ulrich that I really enjoy is that he has that pure enjoyment of just playing the game. Um, he's actually a former catcher that turned outfielder um, in the Australian League. He's played played with the Australian League for one year. He's still very young. I believe he's still 19. Um, but he's he's built. Um, he's built very, very well. He had a as, good stocky. As Instagram would show you, yeah, definitely. As, as Instagram would show you, he's definitely not afraid to post <laughs> on Instagram. So he, uh, he enjoys that for sure. But I think that there's a lot of potential with him. He... He's got very long arms that I think he has learned how to, at least at the moment, looks like he can utilize them pretty well. I actually have not gotten a chance to see him play an actual game situation yet. I ran into him in spring training, um, but he was not playing at the time that I saw him. He was kind of off to the side a little bit. So for him, I think he's really just kind of working to get into a routine. This is his first time playing, you know, an actual season in the States. So you know, it's it's a cultural adjustment, but I can definitely see him contributing further on for sure. Yeah, Ulrich, we're all behind you. We're, we're rooting for you and your Instagram account, definitely. <laughs> well, him, yes. The Instagram, that's one way or the other. <laughs> Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Okay, let's move on to power rankings. Obviously, Eric is not here, uh, so I power ranked something. I hope that it's it's up to everyone's standards. I'll do the the fist banging at the on the table at the end, just like he does. Um, so I decided to power rank uh, fast food restaurants. So I'll, I'll give you my power rankings, and then you can kind of let let me know how I'm doing as as I go along. Are you good with that? That sounds good. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, as always, we'll start from number seven and work down to number one. 
Uh, number seven, Tropical Smoothie Cafe. We actually just got one here in Traverse City over the last weekend. Um, but the big thing with Tropical Smoothie Cafe is, like, it's not burgers. Everything there is fresh. Like, you know, you got you got smoothies. Um, but the big problem that, that draws away from Tropical Smoothie Cafe, in my opinion, is how big the actual smoothies are. Like, it would take a Herculean effort for me to finish an entire one. But but they are they're very good. Are we are we talking like fifth third burger level of huge where it's like one person can't naturally finish it on their own or is it is it capable depending on how hungry you are? Oh, it's it's definitely capable. You just probably won't feel good after, which is how all good meals should end. I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, all right, number six is Taco Bell. Um, so let's not get this twisted. Like, there's nothing. There's no meat anywhere in anything at Taco Bell. But it's so amazing. Like, everything is so good. Um, like, you finish and you feel like death, probably because you ate, like, literal death in the form of that pumper cheese. Um, but Taco Bell's number six. It's really good, but the feeling probably prevents it from being a little bit higher. I would say that after that rousing description that you have absolutely no chance of ever being hired for Taco Bell marketing. So congratulations on that. That's okay. I have what five other chances. There you go. Let's keep rolling. <laughs> uh, number five is McDonald's. It's kind of the classic, like the fries are an American staple. Uh, the Coke for whatever reason is just great there. You know, happy meals, breakfast, and you know, they get bonus points for the frappe. Um, I almost never get it because I, I, uh, the, never get the frappes because i don't have you ever had a frappe from mcdonald's i have and it's they're a bit sweet yeah i know obviously they're supposed to be but i think they almost kind of tip over the edge of being too sweet for me i agree with that and then they leave you wired for like six days i feel like i'm bouncing off the walls for a week after i have one of those but they're very good i think um but uh, the big the big drawback to for McDonald's why it's not higher is you are literally eating diabetes in every bite, um, but you know it, it tastes delicious. Um, number four is Panda Express, the orange chicken. Like I don't know that there's a single you know a single item on any of the rest of these the that these restaurants that that beats like a double orange chicken with the noodles. Um, I haven't really tried to be fair. I haven't really tried anything else at at Panda Express, but why would you? Like, the only thing that keeps it from being higher on the list is, like, I don't know, you wake up in the middle of the night with terrible dry mouth. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of your your typical Panda Express, Express reaction, at least in my opinion. I think, yeah, I would say, like, the orange chicken is definitely, it's a staple. I actually like, I think it's the, the beef and broccoli. I've been a fan of that for a while too, so that's that's more of a personal favorite of mine. But yeah, it's definitely something you have to have a completely empty stomach for if you don't want to feel weighed down for the next week. Which I'm, some weeks I'm fine with, some weeks some weeks less so. There you go. <laughs> uh, number three is Culver's. I feel like Culver's is kind of like the utilitarian choice of the bunch. Like of all these places, it's the easiest place to find like a proper meal. Um, but it's also kind of versatile. They got burgers, they got fish, they got chicken tenders, soup, and custard. Um, Culver, Culver's is a classic. We do Culver's a decent amount. Yeah, I, I'm definitely a fan of Culver's. I like the, uh, I think it's, what is it, the cement mixers yeah. that they have. Those are those are really good, but I just don't understand where they came up with that name because it's not the most appealing name if you think about it. No, <laughs> I don't know where that came from either. So if you're, you know, the Culver's people and you're listening to this, let us know. Fill, fill in our gaps here. All right. Number two is Chick-fil-A. And if you don't like Chick-fil-A, you're pretty much not a good American. Um, it's like they've perfected any variety of chicken. Like, you know, they make the nuggets. They make the sandwiches. It's all of these various forms. Chick-fil-A sauce is like 12 fire emojis. Waffle fries are incredible. Have I ever told you my Chris Archer Chick-fil-A story? I don't think you have. So in in Port Charlotte, where you know where the Rays have spring training, is where where we go down, uh, where my parents have a place. Um, I waited in line behind Chris Archer at Chick-fil-A. Um, so I, I was 
too much of a chicken to go up and ask him, you know, for a picture because I'm I'm very shy and and whatnot. So later I I tweeted him, you know, at Chris Archer or whatever, like, are you a Nuggets or a sandwich guy? And he responded to me, oh man, sandwich all day. And I responded to him that I was a sandwich fan too. Um, because I wanted him to like me, but actually I, I do prefer, uh, the nuggets. So I'm, and honestly, I'm on that, I'm on that too, where I have come to enjoy the nuggets far more than I should. And yeah, if you don't like it, you're basically not American. That's kind of the, that's the gist of it because they have perfected to no end. It's, it's great chicken. You guys have two of them down there. I'm so jealous. I want, I want Chick-fil-A so bad. And the beauty of it is they're both within like ten minutes of my house. Oh so my you know, if, if I if I have a feud with one of the staffs, I can just drive to the other one, no problem. I would love to see the scenario behind which your feud with Chick Fil A develops. So if, <laughs> yeah, that, that... if that happens, let, us, let let me know. I will. I will. I'll be sure to jump on and share the story with the listeners. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I'm supposed to let you guess. Do you have any guesses as to what's number one? Do I get a food ethnic cue? Southwest. Southwest. Are we going to go with Chipotle? No. I mean, in that vein, but no. Qdoba. Qdoba. Moe's. It's it's the pinnacle of any sort of expedited uh, food. The best single dish on the list, the Joey chicken. It's, It's a burrito. Um, the ingredients are fresh. The flavors are big and bold, and there's jalapenos and everything. You got burritos and nachos and quesadillas. Um, they give you free chips and salsa, and it's not like one salsa. They give you like six salsas, um, and they have the the Coke freestyle machines, which I don't I don't really get pop, but if I did, I'd want that. Uh, that's as good as food gets. Sometimes I dream about Joey Chicken burritos at night. Not not ashamed to admit that. Can I make a confession that I have actually never had anything from Moe's? No. Oh, that is – it's life-changing. Moe's <laughs> is the absolute best. I would pick Moe's over just about any, like, fancy sit-down restaurant. That's – and I know it's been a it's been a debate with several people I know. You know, is it better? Because it kind of falls in that same, you know, Qdoba, Chipotle type oh, yeah. of a – a field, and so there's always a little bit of competition as to what's better. But because of the fact that I've never had it, I can't attest to the fact that if I agree with you. So I'm just going to agree with you because you're a good man, Jordan. Sounds good. I wish more people were like that, specifically on you know, Twitter. It'd, ma- it'd make things a lot easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> it definitely would. Okay, so bottom three. Don't like to get negative, but we have to because that's how Eric does it. Um, number three from the bottom is Burger King. Um, it's really just a knockoff McDonald's. Like they have the exact same menu, but everything isn't quite as good as it is at McDonald's. I agree. I agree. It's funny. I was driving by a Burger King earlier today when I was out and I thought I cannot remember the last time I went to Burger King because that one time I thought it was a relatively good idea many years ago and immediately regretted it. Um, number two is White Castle. Like, I dog Taco Bell for none of the meat being real, but White Castle is legit, and I have this in quotations, food product. Like, I don't believe anything about, about White I mean, they call them sliders. Like, slide in, slide, uh, slide out. I mean, yeah. Harold and Kumar dig it. I strongly do not. I completely agree. I am not a fan. It's everything that you have there. It does things to your insides that shouldn't be done. And does not end well for anybody who goes that route. Nobody. All right, the last one. Do um, you want to take a guess at what what is the worst? You know, it could go any direction, so I'm just going to let you run with it. All right, it's Arby's. <laughs> this is where he starts banging his fist. Um, I have no idea what the roast beef is, but I know for sure what it's not, and that's beef. Like, is it brown lettuce? I don't know, maybe. Is it sliced, like, house siding? Maybe. Is it paper that was painted brown? Uh, yeah, maybe. Like, it weirds me out. It's the worst. It's power. Well, and I, and I have to say, too, when it comes to those sandwiches, they never really do anything with them. They just sort of hand you a bun with shaved paper or whatever that really is. So, yeah, it's it's a little less than thrilling. But I do have to say the Jamocha shake is 
it's kind of fantastic. Yeah, and the curly fries are good. Like I, I can't I can't crap on all of Arby's. The curly fries are good too. But but I mean they're known for the roast beef sandwiches and yeah, like you said, it's just a hunk of something on a bun. They're like, yeah, Here, let let all of our various sauces that were prepackaged six years ago give it the flavor <laughs> that you want. I'm good. <laughs> And may the odds be ever in your favor as you try to digest it. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to move on to some Twitter questions? We've yes, been running long, it. so we'll just kind of try and skip through these pretty quickly. Um, so if yours doesn't get read out, then my apologies. Maybe maybe next week. Uh, we'll start with Anthony Troy. He asks us, um, can you list some of the outfield available outfield prospects that are with potential trade partners? Do you know of anyone specifically to keep an eye on? kind of it's kind of a tough one i probably should have uh let you prepare a little bit more for that but i didn't well so. well and i guess i would say are we referring to outfielders outside of the tigers organization that the tigers would consider am right. i yep. getting that right and somebody to target via trade you know i will be honest that i haven't watched too close at options from other teams at this point um it's really been more of a looking at like certain pitching arms i've gotten a better look at some of those but as far as available outfield options none that have readily jumped out to me so that's something that i i will definitely put more on my radar in the future and i was going to say too if if anybody for whatever reason doesn't get their question answered definitely hit me up on twitter um i will try and get to those as much as i can too but Right off the top of my head, I would say, unfortunately, nobody that really comes to mind right away. So, Anthony, the I think the answer to the question is Lewis Brinson. That's who we're going to be trading for. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Nick Batani asks us, biggest area of prospect need we should try and address at the deadline? Position players. Um, it's something that we were talking about, especially at the West Michigan level, that we're just now – starting to see some guys coming up who have done really well offensively. Um, so there's a few that are, they're very encouraging to see, but it's still very much a lack. I mean, something that I was extremely encouraged by was the fact that the Tigers picked up a few catchers mm. um, in this year's draft, specifically Joey Morgan, who has had a really good start um, in short season since he's jumped on board with the organization. So definitely are needing some position players. I think, you know, I never thought I'd say it, but the Tigers have some pitching potential coming up. I never thought I could say that. But uh, so I would say, yeah, that that to say position guys for sure. Uh, speaking of uh, pitching, uh, Jason Woodle asks us, now that Gerson Moreno has, has ironed out his delivery, how fast do you see him moving, moving through the organization? Um, I personally, and I, I did get to see him throw when I was in Erie, which was, that was really cool to see because I got to see him um, do a little bit in uh, in the Gulf Coast League, and then I got to see him do a bit um, in West Michigan. So I've kind of been able to follow him along the journey. And the encouraging piece to what I saw in Erie is he's a lot more settled down, which is really encouraging because I think something that you run into with these guys with the really big arms is that they want to blow everybody away. I saw it with Joe Jimenez when he was at the lower levels. He, he goes, you know what? I can hit 100 miles an hour, so I'm going to throw 100 miles an hour. But the good thing about how the Tigers have handled them is when you get to that double-A level, it's less fastball, and you're working on perfecting your secondary. And so um, her son told me, actually, that he's working on mixing in more sliders um, into the way that he mixes up his pitches. And his slider looked good. It looked really, really good. And so that's definitely a good sign for him. I think he could use more time in double A, um, really just to learn how to face that more accelerated hitting at that level. And then if he's able to maintain through that, he could definitely get into Toledo by next year. Wow, that would be that'd be great. Um, okay, last one, because my computer battery is almost dead. Uh, Michael <laughs> Litzner asks us, uh, when the rebuild is all said and done in a few years, is anyone on the current Major League roster not named Norris or Fulmer still around? I thought that was a really interesting one. That is a really interesting one. I think that there's still going to be a bit of a house cleaning that takes place. I think they are going to have to shift pieces for a younger team. Um, unfortunately, that means that there could be um, a bit more time of having to wait before you see that, you know, that long term effect of being able to bring home, you know, a World Series. And so it's going to take a little bit of time, but I think they are going to shift some more of those guys out. I think Fulmer is going to be one of the big ones. If we can get a healthy Daniel Norris, 
you know, to where he finds his groove. I think he's still going to have a very important slot with the team. So I think that, yeah, it's going to be a shift, and we'll see who's still around when it's all said and done. I think there's going to be a couple guys. I, th- I don't think Castellanos is going anywhere. Um, hopefully for our show he doesn't go anywhere because that would make the name really weird. Um, I could see McCann still being around, maybe not necessarily as a starter, but as a backup. I do think he's major league quality. Um, honestly, I could see Dixon hanging around, maybe not, maybe not as a starter, as as a utility infielder. Um, and truly, I could see one of uh, Jacoby or Mikey Matuk. I, I had planned to talk about him, but we ran a little long. Um, I'm kind of starting to dig Mikey, and we we can get into more of this next week. But um, yeah, I could see one of those two. Once again, probably not as a starter, but as, as a bench piece, you, you could do worse. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, there will be a few. I was, but. Yeah, I would say so. And I think with as far as who sticks around, I think it's going to be more position guys than it is pitchers. Um, I think some of the younger position guys will definitely stay around. But as far as pitchers go, there's going to have to be some moves that are made to get more consistency, you know, in both the rotation and in the bullpen. So it'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. Oh, and, and Blaine will still be around, obviously. You know, the day that Blaine leaves is the day that happiness just departs. And so we'll hope that he'll stick around for a very long time. I might I might just move whatever team he goes to. I think I'll just start a podcast for them. Just switch allegiances purely <laughs> to follow Blaine. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with the show, you can uh, podcastianos.com. On Twitter, I am at Jordan Hall 23. Emily is at Emily Walden 2080. I almost said that Comeric Eric. I'm just so used to saying that. That's what Eric's at. And the show is at Podcastianos. On Instagram, I am at Jordinio4. Facebook.com backslash Podcastianos. And we'd love it if you would take the time to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or whatever other platform you're listening to the show on. Emily, thank you so much for uh, spending the evening virtually with me tonight. Um, a lot of good stuff. A lot of, lot of new information for for the listeners and for me i always learn i always learn a ton when you way more than when eric's on the show that's for sure well thank you so much i appreciate you having me on and i will look forward to being back soon yeah we'll we'll do it again sometime soon um do you have anything else to say to the listeners before we get out for the week um i would honestly just say i know it's next to impossible but there's definitely relief coming so i would say you know just try and keep your chins up um and shift more focus to the minor league level you know i tell you guys that i love what i do and it's it's fun you get to see a preview of who's coming you know really get to see what's what's in the future for the tigers and there's definitely some really good pieces on the way just gotta stick it out and be patient for a little while longer yeah you heard her just be patient uh with that being said we will catch you guys next week and eat them tigers eat them up For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.